Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, we are less than 24 hours away, Danny, from the NBA draft. Much to discuss at this point in time. And we can begin with... The trade that's probably been discussed more than just about any trade for the last league year or so, it didn't happen at the trade deadline. It was rumored to happen. I believe we even have a Watfo about this. Am I correct on that? Yes. Yes, we do. Jeremy Grant will be a Portland Trailblazer. Oh, I did not do well. Um, yeah, I said, it, I said, it, yeah, that he starts the season with the Blazers. I said a 12% chance. You said 35. That is close to a 100% chance. Now, the terms of the deal, Jeremy Grant going from Detroit to Portland in exchange for a the 2025 top four Milwaukee protected first, which was the return for the Blazers when New Orleans made the playoffs and thus their pick went to Charlotte. Also, they the Pistons now exchange 30, they get 36 and they give up 46 in this year's draft. Plus, they get their own 2025 second back and then the more favorable of Portland second and New Orleans second in 2026. So the first thing that people saw here was 2025 first round pick top four protected. By the way, if, if you must know that changes into two seconds if it doesn't go because they, there's only they only have it one year from Milwaukee. It's the pick from the Drew Holiday trade. And people are like, man, that is really far out. And I mean, Giannis will probably be there. That's only three seasons from now. So it'll probably be a, a, a pick in the 20s. Is it really that good? Like, particularly when people were talking about the New Orleans pick that the Blazers were supposed to get being involved in the deal. They're talking about number seven potentially being involved in the deal. And James Edwards, uh, your colleague at The Athletic uh, out of Detroit, said that, no, this is the best deal that they've gotten at any point for their offer for Jeremy Grant. Now, that's, I assume they would tell him that because <laughs> that's the reason they would take the deal at this point. They wouldn't tell him, oh, yeah, we had a better offer as a trade deadline. We didn't take it. Now we had to take this. But people are kind of freaked out here. What do you make of this return for the Pistons? I am underwhelmed. And I understand we'll talk about the bet that Troy Weaver made. But if you compare this to, and Jeremy Grant is an older player, he has a different kind of track record to Aaron Gordon. But Gordon, that was a 2025 first, but also RJ Hampton. Gary Harris was salary, and we'll talk about that being one of the big differences in this trade. But that was a top five protected pick for Denver. I would, you know, I'm more confident. I guess I'm more, Jokic is great, and he's probably going to be signing an extension soon, but Giannis is already on his. So we, we kind of know that part of it. It's funny because those teams are somewhat parallel, but RJ Hampton is an intriguing young player. I feel worse about him now than I did when that trade was made. But for me, the the nuance that I think is the headliner here from D Detroit's perspective is 
part of, I'm sure, the sales pitch of what they received here is that by not having to take on any salary for 22-23, not taking on any salary period, the Detroit Pistons opened up another $21 million in cap space. And yes, that opens up some fascinating possibilities. You know, you have between like 45 and $55 million to work with, depending on these team options, which we will find out the results of between now and July 1st, but not right now. Hamadou Diallo and a few others. But why I'm a little bit more ambivalent on that is because Jeremy Grant was a positive value contract. And so what that means is, yeah, it's hard to necessarily move him into space. There aren't that many teams with space or a sufficient trade exception like this in the first place. But you took a weaker return. And theoretically, Grant could have been a part of a sign and trade or a trade trade, you know, any number of other things. To me, you make this move with knowledge or sufficient confidence that that 20 million actually makes a difference for you. Because if it doesn't, then you that then I know they said they told they told James that they took that this is the best deal. But I think part of why they say it's the best deal is because of the space created. It's interesting that you compare it to Aaron Gordon, which I think everyone thought was a pretty fair deal at the time. As you mentioned, 2025 first round pick, but let's recall that was in 2021. So yes. it's uh, it's four years out instead of three. So that reduces the value of it. Top three protected from Denver versus top four protected from Milwaukee. I think that's about a wash in 2025. Although it does roll over another for another year. That but th- I'd say those picks are pretty similar. However, they also got move up 10 spots in the second round for 46 to 36, and they got two possibly pretty decent seconds back, including their own, which is always a a nice hedge to have that if you have a bad year, you can at least have your own pick uh, as an asset that depreciates when you're in worse straits. So, you know, three moving up 10 in the second round and going from 46 to 36 too, that's almost like getting a whole second rounder if we think of yeah. the difference in the those two picks usually. And and getting two more, would I rather have three seconds or RJ Hampton? Maybe at the time it's RJ Hampton, but RJ Hampton was what the 23rd pick 24th. in the draft, 24th pick in the draft and he doesn't done anything yet. Uh, so yeah. And they, at, the, at that point he'd him. only he'd only been in the league for 25 yeah. games. Like that was really early in his tenure. And then you throw in that Aaron Gordon had two playoffs left on his contract rather than one. Also throw in that he is younger. Also throw in that the max extension that he could receive was lower and his eventual contract. I mean, we'll see what Jeremy Grant's contract ends up being, but it's possible Jeremy Grant may get this four for 112. I hope for the Blazers sake that he doesn't. But so, and also, I mean, it's ironic too, that Gordon is the guy who replaced Grant in Denver, but I, I think they're relatively comparable talents uh grant more on ball skills uh, gordon maybe a little bit better on defense you know t- tough to say there uh grant certainly a better shooter but is older and then also you had to take on a year and a half of gary harris's bad salary as well at 20 million and the pistons didn't have to take back any salary at all as i really go through it i actually think the pistons did better in this deal for a guy who's arguably a better player or not you know probably about the same uh but definitely older less time in his contract and didn't have to take back any bad salary so i i think this is totally fine i think that there was just too much anchoring that like something crazy was going to happen for jeremy grant yeah and, it's, and i just and don't think were, it was there there were some comparisons like drew holiday jeremy grant is not anywhere close to the player that drew holiday no, he isn't and and that is you know i have been more ambivalent on drew holiday's off 
offensive role than most, but he's, you know, he Drew Holiday is in the all-star consideration in a way that Jeremy Grant hasn't really been. And Grant did, you know, to his credit, he like dramatically increased his usage rate without his efficiency totally dropping off, though that early stretch where we were extremely excited about it in, in, De- in Detroit, that toned down to a more modest eventual total. But for me, that the idea of Jeremy Grant versus another 20 million in cap space, like that, I, I still think that the core conceit of, well, what are they going to do with that 20 million is now a central question for Weaver and for the Pistons. And we will get a clear answer on this in roughly a week and a half to two weeks, just depending, because if it's restricted for agency, it takes a while. And there is a more intriguing possibility with Detroit's cap space this year than most, because as a young team, Kate, they already have Kate Cunningham, they have the number five pick this year, unless they move up or down or something else like that. And, you know, other guys like Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes, that the Pistons are kind of in the early, they're in the early stages of, of this process. And so they, but usually free agency is older guys because that's who hits free agency. And this year, not only just with the res- some of the restricted guys, but also Jalen Brunson is younger than most unrestricted free agents. It is a little bit more possible to use free agency to do that. However, the history of restricted free agency is that high-end restricted free agents don't change teams that often. You know, you do see other guys like Lonzo Ball can, but usually if somebody is in the max or max vicinity, they don't because those players just get matched or, you know, if they were going to get traded, they would have been traded ahead of time. This year feels different. You know, we already have this preliminary stuff about the, and and Woj, I think, talked about this on ESPN's air at one point on Wednesday that the Suns might be less enthusiastic about giving Aiton a full max contract. And we've already had reporting, I believe Fisher, Jake Fisher had this originally, that the Hornets are. Our, our Hornets are kind of similarly inclined with Miles Bridges. That makes it so maybe those guys are more gettable b- than before, but more gettable and likely to get, and also even likely to, to say that of all the people that they can choose, that they're going to choose your team. It If that's the bet, it's a risky proposition, but I actually think it's a riskier proposition for the Pistons' future if it's not one of those guys, if they're going to use this for Jalen Brunson or someone else. Yeah, Brunson, I mean, they're going to have to pay him probably close to $30 million a year, I would imagine. And that would be a disaster for the Pistons. I like Jalen Brunson, but he is not a $30 million a year player, and he doesn't make sense with what could really send them eventually into the stratus. Yeah, I think that would be quite short-sighted to bring him in at what it's going to cost. And, you know, there's a talk of like Schroeder and it, uh, some of this going to Marvin Bagley. And, it, you know, I'm not like Weaver's had some pretty good evaluations. He's also had some ones that I I haven't agreed like he was correct on grant he was paying Plumley didn't really seem to make a ton of sense but in the end it, and they had to pay to get off of Plumley in the end but there are there are also a player they could go the Hartenstein or Mitchell Robinson who they've been linked to approach to kind of get a, a two-headed center monster there or they could take they, they could work. take on bad salary like now you can do yeah. you can do a move in free agency and do something else depending on the actual terms of it so that that is intriguing but to me this especially when it's you know this nebulous future pick that i think isn't going to be very good as the primary asset return i my instinct is you do this when you have a plan you have something that you're going after rather than even if you're the only team that has significant gap space just saying we're gonna do something you know what i mean Well, here's the thing they're probably gonna draft keegan murray too potentially you know that that seems the most likely at this point or maybe it'll be benedict mathern who who we're going to talk about later today uh, as well that's i think the latest in kimoni's mock but but, you know, I think this is the best return. They also, if they're going to do anything in free agency, they probably needed to do the 
this now uh, and there are probably other offers on the table were probably offers that were for draft picks this year that would have been exploding and so you didn't want to just wait around and take this blazers offer later when they might reduce it or demand you take back eric bledsoe or something right i mean to not even have to take back that 3.9 million of bledsoe this year like that that's pretty nice as well you know to just have it be straight up off the books into this blazers trade exception and of course we'll talk about the blazers in a second but yeah i think and we had also talked about when we did the pistons offseason of hey let's not trade something for deandre ayton let's just sign him an offer sheet and see if the if if you really want to go after him which you know yeah maybe uh would be a nice pick and roll partner for Cade, that's for sure uh or same thing with miles bridges i mean shit they could give max offer sheets to both deandre ayton and miles bridges at the same time if they wanted to like they've got 49 million in space right now and they could decline team options to get less than that they could also just move on from kelly olenek or stretch him or something if they really needed to do that as well so i think this is I like this pretty well for the Pistons and we'll see who they draft. We'll see what they do with this money. Before we move on to Portland though, you would have to say that it seems like the Phoenix Suns are kind of a loser here. In because, a couple different yeah. respects. Yeah, go I ahead. I mean, they're a loser because Jeremy Grant, a player who could really help them and potentially be a mitigation, though they don't play the same position for DeAndre Ayton being elsewhere, is completely off the board. You know, he's going to portland but also this opens up their nightmare scenario if you see this as a nightmare of a team that could be willing to offer Aiton the most player friendly offer sheet out there and there might have been this part of james jones in the front office and if you want to extend this to ownership you can that hoped maybe expected that those threats of the you know auto porter jr offer or any of the other way ennis canner had one of those over the years that generally those are overblown that though the team it's not worth the trouble there weren't that many teams that were going to have cap space this year are they really going to tie it up for as long as it's necessary to do it to really play out this dance for the possibility of getting a player like deandre ayton without having to give up anything and now we don't know if ayton is the primary target james edwards reporting seems to seems to think so but it could be miles bridges could be you could even try to do both if you wanted and edwards Um, reporting also indicated that they have the flexibility to just take on bad contracts as well if they want to do that yeah there there are a lot of different ways they do it but now so for the suns you might be getting the challenge that you weren't sure was going to be there. And one of the, the the best way from your perspective to mitigate that potential damage is also on another team now. And there isn't, it's not like they got something back in return that you could do it. So it is a reminder and Phoenix is, was anomalous in this respect because they made the NBA finals in 2021 and they were the league's best regular season team in 21-22 that and they had a lot of information to learn about him but as a general rule if there is a chance that a player could get a max offer sheet and you are unwilling to pay said player a max offer sheet probably a good idea to seriously think about alternatives before you get to restrict free agency yeah and it's just if you're going to do a sign and trade what is the value you can get that's going to make you good next year as good as you would be with deandre Ayton. like jeremy grant was perhaps an out there now that's gone i'm not sure what other deals maybe if there's a deal with the hawks you could go there we'll see whether the hawks want to pay deandre Ayton a, a max and also give up clint capella and, and and whatever else let's turn now to portland's aspect of this and certainly this is a pretty good deal for portland as well and i think that's part of the angst about it's like oh man i can't believe that portland got this well they put themselves and all they had to give up was the 
number 25 pick or sorry a 2025 pick which will probably be the number 25 pick that year from the bucks but they put themselves in position to do this with the mccollum trade and one of the big advantages there was either having the cap space to just take in grant or uh, as they're going to do use this trade exception from the mccollum deal to bring him in and what is the rotation now look like for this blazers team and they're not done we'll get to that too but in terms of who they actually have on this team right now assuming that they can stay over the cap and bring back Nurkic and of course resign Simons as well backcourt is presumably the starters are Lillard and Simons and they have some potential depth pieces there you know we'll see exactly like Keon Johnson might be in the rotation and, and some of the other kind of like fringy guys that they added towards zero they could also th- t- depending on things use some mid-level I'm skeptical that that's going to happen frontcourt Nurkic Grant and either Josh Hart or Nasir Little probably to me are the starters and then the other of those last two will be the sixth man and play significant minutes there's a chance they could bring back joe ingles but he would only be in the playoff rotation or as trade flotsam depending on how well that goes and then they still have the seventh pick in the draft which either the, the seventh pick could be a player that you know is eventually part of it or that could still they could still convert that into somebody else and one of the ideas that's floating out there is that they still do have eric bledsoe as a potential trade chip here if they wanted to do something bigger the problem there though is the luxury tax because this is an issue of do you have the stomach for it not can you because now that the blazers are almost assuredly going to function as an over-the-cap team they could theoretically during this league year trade eric bledsoe you know do some of those machinations and and bring back a larger salary use maybe use that seven pick as a sweetener but they're roughly 40 million under the tax not counting simons or nurkic and if you bring in a significant salary in addition to those guys you're going to be over the tax I feel compelled to tell you that it's machinations just because I'm the one who polluted you by saying machinations before. So I I apologize for having incepted you uh, on that probably. Yeah, and the Blazers, I mean, that's a pretty nice six guys right now they still need to fill out their bench a little bit they've got justice winslow maybe to play some backup four backup five they could also even go with some small ball lineups jeremy grant has even played small ball center in the past and sierra little's got some size play hard at the, at the three i would actually start hard at the two and then grant and little and nurkic and then bring simons off the bench but as much as they're paying him he may not be down for that we'll see maybe the example of jordan pool will speak to him but the blazers should still have the full mid-level if they want to use it depending on their luxury tax appetite and also how much they pay Nurkic and Simons they might be able to fit the full mid-level in as well you mentioned the possibility of trading Bledsoe possibly they're also out that pick going forward that they owe to the Bulls that's lottery protected the Bulls kind of a winner on on this deal uh, I would say so far yeah it looks like it's going to convey more quickly potentially with the Blazers they're not a certainty for the playoffs but they're more likely to make the playoffs in 23 now than they were a day ago and so for chicago i think you'd rather get it and i don't think of portland right now preliminarily is profiling as a top five seed in the western conference knowing what we know so if you're getting one of the you know something maybe in the late teens at chicago getting it 
early as early as possible is is probably win for you. It could also theoretically open the door for Portland making a first allowable draft trade at some point. You know, you could just say, like, hey, we're going to this. We can't be certain that this pick is going to convey before 28, but we think it will if if you're cool with that. And there, there are some potential limitations there. But I think another important angle of this is the optionality or lack thereof for the Blazers because there is a construction you and I were basically reacting on Spotify live to this because it happened five minutes before we started recording and uh, we both read about it basically the second we started is there would be a way for the Blazers to play this where they look at how the first half of the season is going and Jeremy Grant he is extension eligible and you could do it within the extended trade rules should he be willing to accept that so that'd be a shorter term contract smaller raise sooner but more likely you're waiting six months to make that happen at minimum so one way of thinking about this is hey we have Damian Lillard we have Jeremy Grant we have this team that we think is intriguing let's see how at bare minimum the first half of the year goes and if things go poorly either for Grant individually or the team more broadly they could change course with very little muss or fuss they gave up functionally a late first round pick and some second stuff they could probably get more than that for Grant at the deadline of course they would have to take back salary they, but they would I bet you they but, could do it, get a better draft pick than the one they traded yeah. potentially and if and if they were the you will if, if they're if they're one to use grant as a vessel to take on negative salary then you could you could push to be right. on that and they're theoretically were you in the boat to really change course and move damian lillard Jer- jeremy grant on an expiring contract doesn't change that course i don't think that's going to happen but theoretically were you to go down down that direction you could they don't have very much at this point guaranteed money for 23-24 though Simons and potentially Nurkic and some others could could add to that. However, typically, and incidentally, Portland is a good example here from the Norman Powell trade, teams typically don't trade for pending unrestricted free agents that kind of make sense with their team without an understanding that they could be back. This is far enough away. This isn't a deadline deal where they're, I don't think they hashed out the extension already, but there could be an understanding of this is what we're looking for. This is what we want to do. If things go well, would you be interested in resigning with us either via an extension or via full bird rights? Something in that vein. And so if that flexibility that I just praised is not really there, it's a little riskier for the Blazers because that high-end extension, like the ma- the maximum for Grant would be great for him. I don't think that would look great for Portland. Yeah, and we'll see whether they, if they do sign him to an extension, it has to be pretty quick here if they want to be able to trade him at the 2022 deadline. We may also just see it. The deadline is an inflection point for guys on some of these extensions, like Dorian Finney-Smith, for example, was one of those where they come in. Let's, can we agree on an extension or not? Then maybe we'll trade you. But it all depends just how well they're doing, I think. To me, I don't feel a huge rush as the Blazers. I don't see the team that's going to offer Jeremy Grant a four-year deal in the high 20s per year in free agency next season. That's way too much for him as well, I would say. So I would offer him a what I would consider to be a good extension. You know, something along the lines of what he's making now, maybe a slight raise for three years rather than four, and maybe a non-guarantee on the end. And if he doesn't want to take that, then you just, all right, you know, we'll play it out through the season if you're playing well 
and everyone's doing well we can extend you or we could just resign you uh, as well in free agency we'll, we'll see how that goes you know because they'll ha- they'll be able to pay him way more probably than he doesn't seem like a team again with a cap space team spending that much money on him seems somewhat unlikely so i, I would be fine playing it out if he doesn't want to take an extension for a fair amount below that maximum that he could offer it's something along the lines of like 75 million guaranteed because jeremy grant will be 29 next offseason i believe so I, I think you have the ability to see where this is going and then with the last piece of this is chris haynes reporting that the blazers are making the seventh pick available in talks for og Ananobi, and that would be very interesting someone asked me on spotify live today if Shaden sharp were available at seven and i were the blazers would i do that deal with Ananobi? and i think i may especially if i could extract a little bit more out of portland also with the question of the matching salaries instrument it probably would have to be josh hart uh, i'm not really sure what else they could do to cobble it together but josh hart would help the raptors some this year but if it were Shaden sharp and i i that was the guy to go after i would do it there i've mentioned also i might have a lot of egg in my face if Shaden sharp just sucks but obviously in being canadian they're very familiar with him there so we'll, we'll see we're we'll be uh we'll find out a lot more tomorrow i'm sure we don't need to get into too much of the trade speculation anything else on, on this deal for right now or do you oh i guess the last thing to say too is basically the final accounting on the cj deal now is cj and larry nance for jeremy grant and josh hart i think that's a decent win for the blazers because especially when you consider the contract that cj is on and that that could be a a rough contract going forward i think they've got more flexibility also just the fact that they could still move hart and grant at this deadline coming up as well if they needed to you know i think they're probably a better team because the thing also is they had simons waiting in the wings and he's pretty redundant with cj and it's really tough to play those three guards certainly not together and also just to have you know just three bad defensive guards in the backcourt and just never be playing a good defensive guard so i think they may be better on the floor for having made this deal i think the assets that they have are better also let's not forget the powell deal if they still had norm powell on this roster then they would be so hard up against the luxury tax that they would have to be dumping him right now anyway so they traded powell for Bledsoe. like that flexibility enabled them to eventually do this deal as well and you know they still got Keon Johnson we'll see what happens to him he played uh tanktastically down the end of last year which was its own value by the way for them to get the seventh pick let's not forget that too like moving Powell and moving CJ last year also got them the number seven pick which they would have been you know probably in the play-in had they not done that and that was definitely a good move to have number seven and if that gets some OG Ananobi then that's looking pretty good too so I, I think all this plan I think has worked out pretty well for Joe Cronin and company despite the fact that there may have been some criticism locally on both of those deals yeah i think that's fair we won't talk too much about some of the trade speculation because so many questions will just be answered less than 24 hours from now so there isn't necessarily a point but instead we can focus on some of the actual concrete decisions that have happened including most notably the guarantee of mason Plumley's contract yeah and this was just amazing agenting by mark bartlestein to negotiate that guarantee 4.2 million out of the 9 million in the third year of that deal up enough that even though Plumley is on a negative negative contract when you're just looking at the difference between his guarantee and how much he's making 4.8 million when the choice is let's play an additional 4.8 million to have mason Plumley. fine okay we'll do it 
<laughs> if you're the Hornets and we'll see what ends up happening he also it could be useful for them as matching salary uh they've been talked about forever as the, someone who's or a team that's looking to get into the Miles Turner sweepstakes also it's been talked about them potentially moving one of their two draft picks to get off of Gordon Hayward <laughs> uh they have 13 and 15 for reference so I, I seemed it was one of those ones where like ah maybe they'll turn it down it's like no actually this is just great agenting and it totally makes sense because of the structure of the contract to keep him even though he's not a nine million dollar player and that was proven when they had to move or they actually moved up in the draft to get him man i just love american giants just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm going to be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us last year we also saw the cleveland cavaliers retain dean wade you and i both support that minimum contract for a guy who can actually be in your rotation very good for him and team option that they uh, picked up fully support that pat Connaughton, the first truly surprising option decision so far he picked up 
a player option, which was only four. Uh, sorry, sorry. His option is five point seven million. And remember, he got that option through the nonsense that was that Milwaukee offseason, where they they had to they had to restructure the deal late, and he got a player option. And I thought yeah. Connaughton. He, he originally agreed to an a deal that would not have been legal, and then they had to give him this player option. But then he opted in eventually anyway. So yeah, what do you think this means? I thought Connaughton could get more in 22-23, not only squeezing the bucks because they have so few ways to improve, but also just because Connaughton is a rotation player on a good team. And this is, you know, it's not a commitment beyond this year, though there is a distinct possibility that this comes on the heels of, or this comes before an extension, because now Connaughton, by picking up this option, he's extension eligible. And for Milwaukee, with this being the final, 22-23 being the final year that Brook Lopez is under contract and you know the cap is going to hopefully continue to rise maybe they're a little bit more amenable to spending beyond that maybe this is the first step towards a a larger deal with an extension though we don't obviously know that at this moment yeah and this it very much could be the bucks like all right opt in and that'll save us some tax scratch this year particularly with what they're likely going to end up paying bobby portis and kind of a similar arrangement perhaps with bobby portis we'll see how much he's going to get paid it could be a very large amount uh, relative to what we think of him that is but yeah content i don't know that if he had opted out he would have had that many suitors like i don't know if he's a full mid-level guy for some of these teams there aren't that many teams with the full mid-level so he might have been looking more taxpayer mid-level and particularly if he can get some kind of an extension he's also older than you think right isn't he i already erased him from my sheet as a free agent but i think he's gonna be 31 yeah. next year he'll be 30 next year will be back on since he's 30 yeah so i to get an extension going forward i think it's pretty good obviously he's he's a key guy there in brooklyn woge's piece wasn't entirely enlightening as it often isn't with the nets but he did shed some clarity on what the nets are offering and it's actually even crap than what I would have thought it would be. It said the organization clearly wants Irving on a sure deal, whether it's his $36 million opt-in for the 22-23 season or an opt-out on a new deal that could give him a raise to $42 million annually on a two-year deal. I mean, that's... If that's all he's being offered, I mean, I would certainly understand why he would think he could do better or want to do better. I think probably the sweet spot here is going to be three years and maybe there's a partial guarantee and maybe there's some incentives. Although it seems like Kyrie would just chafe at those sorts of incentives, although he agreed to other ones so that he could fit the Andre Jordan in. Uh, And then also this tidbit, which was got to be concerning for the Nets, is that KD is not doing any recruiting of role players. That's going to make it more difficult for them to fill out this roster and of course the big concern as Woj noted is if Kyrie leaves then KD might be far behind and then Woj also finally noted that if any team is a threat to get Kyrie it's considered to be the Lakers Stein reporting that Kyrie and LeBron have at least gotten together a little bit to possibly discuss this the Lakers of course can't pay Kyrie anything unless they give him the mid-level the Nets would have to cooperate maybe they could dump Russell Westbrook somewhere now and take back a lot less that or just stretch Westbrook and get the mid-level exception I guess another possibility Danny would be that if Kyrie came this year yeah they still would be pretty limited I was gonna say that maybe he could sign a more lucrative contract next year yeah well there so there is there are a couple different ways that, that could happen if only I had spent some time gaming this out over the weekend um the one idea is that the Lakers will have for rights on LeBron and so either LeBron like LeBron could take a little bit 
less, and so that could give Kyrie yeah. more. He, he will. I don't think he'll ever do that. Just, I don't think he'll ever. I don't think he'll ever do deal. that to a significant degree. But there is even the idea. I, I'm not espousing that this is going to happen. I, I don't believe that it will. That the most extreme there could be what Dirk Nowitzki did, which was take a lot less for one year right. to open things up and then go more. But I wouldn't expect that a from LeBron James' perspective, but also from the Lakers' perspective, because the that pathway is a good one to make your team better but it is also a way to make your team extremely expensive yeah and also i mean if they stretch russ then his he would be to get to be able to use the full mid-level then his money would for 15 million right. would be on their books well, next year so the more logical way to me to to have this happen whether westbrook is going to the nets or a third team is to have Kyrie opt in and then involve Kyrie and russell westbrook in the same trade whether westbrook is going to the nets or not i could understand why they don't want to take his 47.1 million dollars for next year and where the assets go where everything happens is is certainly not fair but in terms of the lakers like just logistically that's so much easier for them but hell for from the lakers perspective if there is a chance that you could get kyrie irving for the mid-level or something crazy like that then you're not really you're, you're not risking anything at all so why the hell not from their perspective yeah. and the reporting Ky- has indicated like hey maybe he's just that crazy to do it although even to get to the mid-level the lakers would have to move some salary yeah to get to the non-taxpayer really the taxpayer yeah, yeah, the they could do pair, yeah. right um the other Just the other yeah yeah go ahead sorry the other news that we should do that isn't really a trade trade or free agency speculation is alec burks and so alec burks underwent foot surgery we talked briefly a, a few days ago about how that was one of the pathways trading alec burks who has next year guaranteed and then a non-guaranteed third season in 23-24 was one of their pathways to clearing cap space reportedly that could be for jalen brunson and alec burks having his fifth lower extremity surgery per Jeff Stotts since December of 2015 doesn't exactly instill a team with confidence when the idea for the Knicks would probably be the other team thinking of Burks as equal as like reasonable value rather than a negative contract yeah I think that's about where it might have been but that team probably would have needed to have a trade exception the Knicks are not interested in taking back bad salary so the cap space teams aren't interested in him a team with a trade exception is looking for someone to get him who can play now and they're just this cast out in that Burks already was under 40 percent from two last year perhaps it was due to this foot issue we don't know exactly what the surgery is of course this was reported by Fred Katz today and then Stefan Bondi added further reporting that this happened a while ago after the season was over which again it's ridiculous that this wasn't announced by the team when it happened I think it's also worse for the team because if the idea is that you're trying to trade this player of course there are going to be disclosures that you would be yeah. making to these teams as you're doing it you you ripped the band-aid off at a time that you weren't going to make the trade in the first place and then everybody just kind of understands it so let's just set the scene a little bit with some of the reporting out there with trades we don't need to analyze it too much but i just want to get it out there that malcolm brogdon is a big name that's being talked about and the knicks and wizards at 10 and 11 are both looking for point guards there are no point guards that range to draft the idea is that those might be available in a trade for brogdon Miles Turner is being talked about again as perhaps the efforts to deal him are more serious now than they were before. Minnesota is supposedly looking for another center. 
uh Dejounte Murray there's actually been discussion that he may at least be getting dangled by San Antonio but they're looking for like a Drew Holiday style of package we mentioned John Collins being a, a guy who's really on the move here as well uh, or, or the probably the most likely guy to be moved before the draft or during the draft and then also we're getting some interesting color on PJ Tucker's free agent market sure and Chris Haynes saying that PJ Tucker will have full mid-level offers from multiple contending teams and and that group could potentially include the Philadelphia 76 or something I believe we discussed yesterday. And this might be Tucker try and his representation trying to firm up firm up his value, trying to get the heat to actually pay up. But I would understand why teams would be interested in PJ Tucker. He's great. Yeah, also, again, more indication, I think it's from Woj, that Harden is headed towards opting into that player option and then extending by as many as two more years at a significant commitment, but short of a max contract. That's not too bad for the Sixers. But as you mentioned before, it would be nice if they could lower that number down for this year. I might even be willing to pay more in future years as a result of that. Yeah, and that and that shifted somewhat with Danny Green's injury just because now they have a little bit more flexibility. So if you could before I had been of the idea that just kind of swallow the bitter pill now and then you can have a more manageable bill later on. But once Danny Green, you know, like you're not going to guarantee his contract unless it's to facilitate a trade, then it became a possibility to maybe use the full mid-level on somebody like Peachy Tucker. So we'll we'll see how all that plays out and Fisher had some note about them about Daryl Morey surprise of surprises shopping the players like Tobias Harris and yeah I think we're going to get a lot more detail uh, that was something Woj talked about as well today that some of these more significant deals especially with the free agent crop not being super ins- inspiring on the unrestricted line that we could see some of these moves happen on draft night because the teams that have picks that are willing to look at and some of the filler salary and everything else along with there just not being that many teams with cap space we could see see some real stuff and you never know i there's there's always kind of this idea that when we expect fireworks at the draft there often are not fireworks and then when we don't expect them there are but there's some structural reasons to believe it might be the case we'll know a lot more when we record in a day from now yeah I, i'm just so excited for this draft. I, I really there are a lot of guys at the top of this draft i'm just so interested to see we talked about that so on spotify live today too so last thing chris hange also reporting that nick batum is expected to receive interest from the lakers jazz sun celtic and Bulls in free agency with anticipation as he's leaning towards re-signing on a new two-year deal okay with uh with the Clippers and that seems he seems very happy there he's had a career renaissance there that all makes sense I think it's just a question of what the number is also just wanted to add this in actually no we can save that for the Golden State outlook let's talk some Ben Matherin let's do it so Benedict Matherin six foot six 205 pounds with a six foot nine wingspan and an eight foot eight standing reach shout out to Matherin for being a part of the combine so we actually have these measurements he turned 20 a couple days ago happy birthday so his rookie year will be his age 20 season Matherin was born and raised in Montreal and he grew up there and he intriguingly joined the NBA's academy in Latin America the Mexico City one in 2018 he was their first Canadian born player and then went to Arizona played 25 minutes a game his rookie year started about half the time and was considered a late like a late first round pick decides to come back and his second team all-american 
Pac-12 Player of the Year this year. He had a chance to make the Canadian. I, they called it the the entry I saw called it the Olympic team. I think it was a qualifying team or something like that. So instead, he played in the 2021 FIBA U19 for Canada and was their best player on a bronze medal team. So that's what what Matherin has done so far. And this is a mini scout. This is not a full scout on Matherin. But I think the place that I want to start there are a lot of ebbs and flows, especially when we're watching less film on a player. I had a stretch in the very early going where I'm like, oh my God, like this guy's awesome. Like you, you see some of the basic building blocks with him and it can be really exciting. He's a, a, a very good athlete, especially a vertical athlete. He has a, a nice jump shot that has gone in a lot. And so I was really positive. I still have a lot of those things. But then even over the course of like an hour or two hours watching film, I then got into the like, well, how does he move beyond that? And we can have a discussion there. Yeah, I think so. So let's just talk about what he was here in college. Worked more off the ball, at least to start. He wasn't bringing the ball up. He wasn't top pick and rolls. If he got the ball late in a possession, he might attack there out of pick and roll. If he was in pick and roll, if the defense went under, he would pull that three off the dribble. Looked pretty decent. Once he got inside the arc, it was more of a mixed bag from a handle perspective. You know, he's more comfortable off of two or three dribble moves than really bringing the ball up and really operating and pick and roll snaking you know you didn't see really much of that stuff at all instead with tommy lloyd going to arizona they ran more pro style stuff they ran a ton overall in transition where matron was fantastic both with threes and also getting up for some big dunks and finishes coming off a wide pin downs shooting off of screens was what looked really good for him most of the way whether it was a a just a a normal pin down for coming out from the block or where he showed pretty good footwork great rise off at two feet to get his shot off uh making very difficult contested shots or those wide pin downs mostly out of the left corner where he could either curl into the lane off of those get ahead of steam and try to finish there flare out if they tried to shoot the gap and shoot threes just come right off the screen and shoot a three or just then flow back into a hand back pick and roll type of stuff and it looked pretty good there as a scorer too um let's talk about his physical profile next i I think very good size for a shooting guard did you say like his wingspan and height? yeah six 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 two oh five with a six nine wingspan and an eight eight standing reach yeah that's very good size pretty comparable to Shaden Sharp at 205 pounds and he's definitely built solid he can get even stronger I think he he already is a a pretty strong guy the two foot jumping is really fantastic I mean the big dunks that he gets up for are all off of two feet as a one foot did did you see that one on the TCU guy oh yeah yeah I mean that I was just I was delighted like I was you you, not every player gives you film that can be that exciting and he's yeah and and he could also just get up for like some alley-oops along the baseline also actually I should mention too as, as for how he played you know he was very good as a cutter off of those wide pin down plays oh i want i want to talk about that yeah good yeah good so uh, but yeah i guess just to finish up with the physical profile one foot jumper more average i would say for the shooting guard position uh you know not a lot of great one foot finishes euro steps that type of thing pretty straightforward in terms of like his layup package um yeah and i didn't i didn't love matherin finishing in traffic through contact like that was something it wasn't my favorite part of his game in transition it looked good but otherwise you know 
know, if it, it was against the set defense, he didn't quite have it. Maybe being a little bit stronger could really help with that. But Matherin, what are the things that I liked most about him? First of all, his jump shot is just on balance so regularly. And yeah. because and, of and that... And if he's off balance, he can square in the air because he can get off the ground so well. Exa- exactly. And so by virtue of playing two years at Arizona, and so his first year, Matherin was basically a catch-and-shoot guy. Shot 42% on 91 threes. Mostly, you know, about half starting half coming off the bench. And he shot 85% from the line. So over his college career, 38% from three on five per game, including some self-created pull-up stuff, and then 79% from the line. His jumper is... I wouldn't say it's elite among like all the guys we've ever seen, but it is on the high end. And I believe that it is versatile enough, you know, and and if you think about his Mather, I like him better as a vertical athlete than like straight line speed or lateral quickness, but you could see that translate. And the part that is to me really encouraging is that not only is he a willing cutter, I think he's a pretty adept one. There were sometimes Arizona encouraged this kind of movement. Keandre talked about this well in his video as well for those who haven't seen it that Matherin had the, you know he didn't have the ball in his hands all the time and so he impacted the game in other ways he had some good like you know the guy's top siding him afraid of that jump shot and he goes goes and gets an easy finish and he can he can get it like if he can get especially all the way basket for a dunk it's going to look good there and so the sales pitch for him is a lower maintenance maybe lower ceiling offensive two who can hold his own defensively like that's the theory of the case and and the offensive skill package i think is there and it's also encouraging that Matherin i when i watched the film on it i did, thought this was a little bit overstated but like 0.9 points per possession on 202 pick and rolls including passing and then as a score 0.78 which is still pretty good and i didn't see a ton of craft there like i saw somebody who could you know who could kind of get from a to b and who could hit some of the pull-up jump shots like i think think of Benedict Batherin as more of somebody who can take advantage of a closeout or the situation or maybe do something like clock rather than that you're leaning on him but he has a good enough jump shot where you're cool with that yeah I think of him as a relatively high floor guy with this physical profile and and shooting ability I, I he profiles to me as an off-ball shooting guard mostly and maybe can run some pick and roll on the backside can make the right read I'm just not sure that he's like quite a natural enough scorer where you're just gonna throw the ball to him at the end of quarters he he would have a couple of step backs that he could get to with that great rise but I, I don't think he's gonna be a guy that you're necessarily having him iso unless it's just like quick step back you're not necessarily like having him run pick and roll just as the main action like you start on one side you bring him off the pin down on the other and then he can play out of that or just come off of screens maybe even draw two and then he can make that pass out of there uh you know i think that's most likely. like maybe there's a little more upside there just because of some of his physical ability like i i actually liked his i would say both lateral and short area quickness I think better than you. It just we didn't see very much of that. We'll get to that. That aspect. we 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 definitely didn't see much of it on one end of the floor. And yeah. So, but my one of my criticisms of Matherin, and it's shocking considering he averaged 18 points a game, 21 per, Pac-12 player of the year. I so the full game I watched was when they played UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament title game. He had 27 points and like had a, you know and, and had a good game overall. But for somebody who has the resume that he does 
was. I wish you felt Matherin more on both ends of the floor. Like he's a very capable offensive player. In that game, he got to the line 15 times and had seven assists, though most of those weren't value-added passes. They were making the right read, but not exactly a hard one. But it's more on the defensive end. And I would describe Matherin's defensive film as more disappointing and frustrating than bad because you see the physical tools in transition where he had 1.2 points per possession as a score, 1.4 if you include assists, which is fantastic. Like he has those tools. And some of that might have been Arizona's defensive scheme. Some of it might have been that he doesn't necessarily have, whether it was instincts or effort, it was kind of hard to tell. But you didn't feel him out there enough for me to be like, oh, this guy is going to be an absolute difference maker. And you think about the archetype of like Clay Thompson, where Clay Thompson, you know, he wasn't a great defender at Washington State for sure. But eventually the idea was that he was a versatile defender. He could hold his own. He could make a presence. And then he was a force on the offensive end. And Clay Thompson is about as high as you could get without that level of on-ball skills to really push you into the next level. But I wish you, I wish you, you Matherin's effort level and his whether it's intensity or execution whatever it was was higher defensively so i would say that he didn't there were times when it could look really good whether it was denying out of the wing they had coloco behind him so that was what he was tasked to do a lot of times deny and if they went back door fine coloco is there he's not just like a wallflower like he's definitely not hopeless i, I think his physical goals are good uh and when he got into guys it could look pretty good and he could actually make some plays this steal and block rates were not amazing but they it what he was capable of doing it when engaged and yeah. generally you don't want to say oh well if he's just engaged then he's it'll double his steals like that rarely happens well and, and Matherin did he didn't bite on fakes that much which was a common thing in the ucla game they have a lot of guys who pump fake and it, he stayed down on that and like when he moved his feet okay it looked good but he also got screened a lot like he was terrible at navigating screens and got blown by a lot which is a concern but as as you, as you were kind of getting into, I think of those with his physical tools as more correctable flaws than just being a bad athlete or something like that. Yeah, because when he got into guys, he could get deflections. Like he actually had pretty decent hands on the ball. Every once in a while, he would peel off his man and knock it away from some post player who was like trying to, to make a pass. Uh, the two foot leaping when he did actually jump to try to block a shot, he had some spectacular blocks. It was only 0.3 blocks per game, like 11 on the season. But if he's in position, you could just teach him to get there and jump. Like he could actually have an effect. I mean, we're not talking about Derek White because there's not too many guys like that. But a level below that, maybe is just someone who, and it, with his strength too, he could get his chest on guys. I thought the limited amount of film that we saw of him guarding the post again there would be times where he was just I, I mean it was really crazy even uh, in the course of possessions where he would just stand straight up and just like oh wait I gotta go actually play oh, and like if you just happen to catch him with an attack during one of his standing straight up like not thinking times like you would just beat him but if it happened to be during like the 50% of the possession when he was engaged then he would stop you and so like in the post there are a couple of plays where like guys try to back him down he was strong enough to hold his ground then he would move his chest forward onto them bother their hook shot or whatever it was like i think he actually would have more switchability than your normal two guard like is he gonna be like a crazy switchable guy no but i think he actually could hold up some on some post-ups like i think he definitely had more switchability than your normal two guard uh particularly with that two foot leaping and i think the strength is just gonna get better and also just when he does accelerate in short areas to go for a steal for example his first you know two three steps 
can be extremely impressive if he does actually react so there is a good defensive player potentially even an elite defensive player i think inside of this body he's just not a guy to me and i thought this was the the case overall you know i I watched uh the tennessee game and they were getting their ass kicked at the beginning of that and kind of got back into it but there are a number of plays particularly as they're like getting a bunch of turnovers where he just could have run back and just didn't and just jogged back and they got fast breaks that he if he had sprinted he could have been in position and so like he's i think just from a makeup standpoint he's not going to be a leader in terms of your team's intensity but he can be a follower in terms of your team's intensity like yeah if like everyone in the else, parallel if there might be andrew wiggin yeah i think that's a that might be kind of a, a reasonable one where you, you do because you see some very impressive flash like he could be one of the better defensive two guards in the nba like you his highs were almost kind of to that level um let's talk a little bit more about some of his offensive game when we talked about his pick and roll mid-range and floater just was not very good uh five at 15 at the rim out of pick and roll so as i mentioned getting to the basket off of one foot he had a a nice like left-handed hook shot off the glass along the lane line but other than that not much of a finishing package uh floaters were not good particularly out of pick and roll he's three out of 18 on pick and roll floaters and 11 to 38 overall on floaters he would take them it didn't look amazing and then his jumper off the dribble looked much better from three than from two actually I thought the numbers from two were were disappointing below 40% on two point jumpers as well. And then just in terms of a comp, this guy doesn't have the same size as Matherin and is also a better dribbler and much better in terms of like mid-range floater type of game. But he actually looks similar body type, similar movements and similar in terms of how he plays off the ball and like what is the way he gets up high on his jumper to Ben Gordon. Uh, Ben is small. It was like 6'2", 6'3", Matron's bigger. But I just, he's kind of got that same bow-legged movement pattern and particularly when he jumps. So I, I just thought like stylistically, that's the guy he reminded me of. And same sort of working off the ball on screens, can dribble some, but not necessarily like a point guard. Uh, and Gordon was definitely more skilled th- than Matherin at the same point to be sure but i just thought that was an interesting one i mean you know your other comps would be kind of like on the offensive end tim hardaway jr would be a, another one of a guy who pretty athletic shoots some threes off the you know jr smith would be kind of another one yeah i, I, I thought think, of yeah. early early career jr like yeah. maybe like the age 20 or 21 yeah. jr like, had a little more wiggle and a little more finishing craft also maybe even more explosive well actually i'd say method might be a more explosive like two-handed power dunker but jr uh you know more of a one, a one foot guy and uh you know even a smoother shooter i would say even than than matherin so i think of matherin is going to be uh you know shoot eight eight or nine three-point attempts for 36 minutes potentially but not make over 40 percent. he could get there i don't know if he's going to i think he's also going to get I, a I lot think of he could shot. i think he could yeah. his yeah uh, i really love the balance on his shot i, I think he could uh get a lot of three shot fouls as mm-hmm. well because he just the way he rises up he also his feet go forward naturally on his shot so i think he could actually that could help him juice his style uh, as well he could do more on the glass uh, with his jumping ability i thought he could have been better there missed some box out in the games that i watched um you know i generally think he might get fouled a little bit more at the nba level on on and could learn some kind of bs tricks so i don't know what's it how would you sum things up uh Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because 
my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For him. I wouldn't expect Benedict Botherin to be a high usage player, at least in starting lineups in the NBA, but I think of him as a, a good piece to have within an offense because he can shoot well and he I don't think of him as an intuitive passer but a willing one for sure which is nice and that's something you look for and there's defensive potential there not and I think there could even potentially be multi-position defensive potential there in time probably a little bit small for like the best threes but maybe some of those some of those circumstances you could do it or you could play him at the three on bench units maybe yeah exactly and so that's a useful player type but not a vital one in the on-ball game really pushes that low. But I like him a lot. I, I think that he is, you know, I think that he will be a part of a rotation and I would expect a starting lineup for a while. And that's all you can ask for a mid-lottery pick most of the time. All right, do we, uh, are we done here? Can we get into our, our boards? I, I'll I'll do a little quick. Well, actually, let, let me say one more thing about Matt Jones. Sorry, I, sure. I think it just, I, it's tough for me to see him having star potential. Like, I could see him scoring maybe 20 with, you know, four assists a game or something like that as a, an upside. I just don't think he has the wiggle. I don't think he's a natural enough scorer inside the arc, not a natural enough finisher, not a good enough one-foot player inside the arc. And the defense, I think, will be the big thing. 
thing, right? I, he, he could be a guy who gets whatever the inflation-adjusted amount of a $25 million a year contract is, especially if his defense is good and he can really profile as a 3 and D guy who also gives you some creation and transition and cutting. and uh, But I don't see him being quite... I, I, the path for him to be an all-star is a difficult one for me, even with some of the physical tools that he has, which are very impressive for a shooting. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I know you didn't do... Uh, I did a mini scout on AJ Griffin. I can keep this kind of short, but I want to tell a little bit of that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Please do. Yeah, let's not, let's Of course, you'll finish one. on my board. AJ Griffin, Adrian Griffin Jr., um, so the son of the former NBA player, now assistant on the Raptors. He was a five-star recruit on Rivals, but a four-star on ESPN. Of course, went to Duke, played on that 2019 FIBA under-16 team. And AJ Griffin, part of why it shaped his season at Duke, but also the last two years of high school, he's been dealing with knee and ankle issues. So the medical stuff will matter a lot. It does seem, I think Jeff Goodman had this, that there were no red flag guys in this class, which is fantastic. And for Griffin, you know, I did, so this is a mini scout. So I kind of do an abbreviated version of all the different phases I do. And one note that I have in, I, I, I minimize my all caps and my underlines typically is something to emphasize. I have in all caps, so many hard shots. Cause so this is before I looked at any stats, I'm just like, holy shit, like everything AJ Griffin is taking is challenging. And it seemed that way other than some of the catch and shoots. And then I was almost dumbfounded, kind of in a way like with Keegan Murray, with the overall efficiency numbers, 63% true shooting on about 19 usage. And he came off the bench some of the time, but was mostly a starter, averaged 12 points a game as a starter. And, av- and on top of that, 45% on four threes a game, 55% on 3.52s. And I have a comp for you. And yeah. Keandre brought up Desmond Bain. I think Desmond Bain is an optimistic but reasonable comp. Mine, and maybe it's because I, I think I'm a little older, is prospect Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon, of the most definitive thing about to me about AJ Griffin is that he has a really weird jump shot because he has these wide legs. Eric Gordon, like it went in, but you always kind of wonder a little bit about that. But the biggest reason why is they have this combination skill set on offense and defense that I think is an important parallel. So it took Gordon some time to find himself defensively. But what AJ Griffin has that Matherin doesn't quite at this point in time is a little bit more is more strength and more length. And Eric Gordon, that ended up becoming an important part of these Houston Rockets teams. Defensively, he was somebody that could actually defend larger guys in some ways better than like-sized guys. I could see that potentially for Griffin in part because also his off-ball stuff is so bad. Like some of the defensive film for him is really troubling. But it's also true for Griffin on ball where I was frustrated by Gordon at Indiana and then some of his early career in New Orleans by him not really being that dynamic, you know, like lead creator. But he's a good jump shooter and he could do some of the complimentary stuff. And I could see Griffin fitting there as well, where he's shoots well enough that you have to respect him. And he's not only has enough of a functional handle and passing to take advantage of a hard closeout, but also he's physically strong. And I, I like his finishing package better than I like it for Benedict Matherin. So I I I liked that I watched both of those guys because I have I'll we'll get there in a second. I have them in the same tier with the caveat that they're both mini scouts. But I there's a lot to like about Griffin. And I mean, if you if you could guarantee me that his knee and ankle stuff was 100 percent fine, I think it would be a harder decision between him and, and Matherin. But I, I think there's a lot there. And I've been interested that some of the boards we haven't seen everyone. You know, we you and I have only done a full or a partial scout on nine players this year. But 
I saw some boards where AJ Griffin was like in the, I think like 12 to 15 range. And I haven't seen everyone, but that would surprise me if I saw everyone that I would have in there. Yeah. Maybe I would like him more if I saw more. And I thought I was going to love this guy based on the stats. And I, I watched even less than you have, by the way. And also there's the caveat that he had more bounce at the high school level. And then he had this sprained knee in October and missed a couple of months. And it, it took him a while to find his footing. But yeah, I mean, there really weren't any wow athletic plays from him. I mean, there are a few finishes underneath but he plays at a pretty slow pace uses his body but i mean just the way that he shoots his jumper it's just gonna need to be reworked to be like it's awesome that it goes in as much as it does with this 45 percent from three. it's so weird because his legs i mean people will see it at summer league if you haven't seen it already his legs are so wide it feels like it's a like an it's it feels as weird to me as watching kevin martin's jump shot but it's gone in high school it's gone in college so and i mean he shot that he shot um 80 percent on free throws this year too well and he also has a huge dip as well i just don't know how he's going to be able to with that shot form really shoot the ball on the move the, the way you need to as a shooting guard now if he could hold up defensively at the three but he seems like more a guy even fully formed where he'll use his strength but he's not necessarily going to be like the quickest getting over a screen and again these are all caveats a that i haven't watched him that much b that he may just have you know i would really want to go even back and watch the high school film to get a better understanding of his athleticism if he really was kind of compromised this year but just the way if his number one attribute is his shooting i just don't know how he's going to get enough threes off like he's going to hit open spot ups and uh he actually was a little bit better shooting off the dribble when he could do some of those grab back step back moves and then shoot it there get his feet underneath him the way he needed to but if he's moving at all sideways it's just off the ball and then he doesn't get great rise on his jumper either i also don't really see how he's gonna be get that jumper off very well from two-point range he's probably gonna have to rely more on kind of leaners and floaters which i thought actually looked decent for him but i'm just like and i think he's the son of a coach like i think he'll be you know a guy who kind of finds ways to do things maybe in some ways that are not anticipated but it just if the number one thing is the shooting and i just don't know how he's going to get enough of those off i i struggle to really put him that high necessarily and can you elaborate a little bit more on just kind of like what how do you see him scoring the ball in the nba he can get his griffin can get his feet set after a jab step which i think is a good you know you brought up the little like the low dip and all that and that's frustrating i think some of that can be reworked i actually thought you know like parts of his his motion is weird but it was pretty repeatable which i'm i'm okay with that and that could be the foundation i mean the jumpers off the dribble it was a you know 64 possessions but he did have about 1.1 points per possession which is incredibly good like they were tough shots but they were going in i like griffin's finishing i think that he you know he's strong like listed at 66220 like i i think that's you know he can he can move guys also i liked you know, this duke team had a lot of guys that had the ball in their hands a fair amount and wanted the ball in their hands a fair amount but i thought that griffin when when there was an advantage i thought he did a good job making the right decision you know whether that was keeping a guy on his hip or more typically making a pass and that could be to the big that could be to boncaro it could be to a guy in the corner i'm not confident that he's going to be the guy who creates the advantage but i'm also not confident that like matherin's going to do that or basically anybody outside of those kind of top two tiers so it it that and i also think that griffin could get to, he could 
end up getting to the line a reasonable amount. He only got to the line 1.4 times per game at Duke, but he was only playing 24 minutes a game. He was a smaller, smaller cog within. I, I could imagine those tricks of the trades being being there. And I'm less, cont- I, I think there is work that needs to be done as jumper, but somebody who has made them throughout their time, like I'm more confident that they can get there. Like he made it, I mean, the first shot I saw in all the film on Griffin was a deep sidestep three that he drilled. Like that's just not a shot most guys have in their arsenal. Yeah, I guess I just don't see him quite having the physical tools to be a big on-ball guy. And I think I also would have liked to, I mean, the difference I think between him and Bain too is just that Bain was deemed to be, and obviously he was much older too, but deemed to be like a really solid defender and that's not necessarily Griffin's right. Yeah, and, and that's And that's a part of why I saw Gordon as a, a better comp because Gordon didn't start his career as a good defender. He had to work hard to get there and I think Griffin will too. And also worth noting, AJ Griffin is 18 now. His rookie year will be his age 19 season. He'll turn 19 after summer league. So he is pretty young. And when you think about all the injuries that he's battled, like he doesn't, he has the miles, you know, in terms of basketball because his dad was a pro and is a coach now, but not in terms of like playing against his peers because he missed so much of those last two years and his freshman year too. Yeah. Eric Gordon's first season was his age 20 season, but he came in and shot 39% from three and six. 16 points a game with the with the Clippers and he was just to me more athletic much stronger as a driver that that wouldn't necessarily have been my comp for him I would say I mean he does have that kind of bowling ball oh I'm I'm talking more in terms of the I mean Eric Gordon had the he got the opportunity you're not going to see you're not going to see AJ Griffin get 21 usage as a rookie like that Clippers team if memory serves that Clippers team was horrendous like they were yeah I mean, no, it, it was not it wasn't a great they actually had just signed baron davis they were supposed to be good but they uh they were not they were not um all right we ready to do our boards here yeah i think we are all right, I, I didn't watch enough of Griffin to put him on my board. All right, or, uh, let's stop fucking around here. Tier one, two players for me. Number one, Shaden Sharp. Number two, Paolo Banquero. Wow, number one. I just think Sharp, and obviously, if I were a GM, I might feel differently about it. I have the luxury of just putting the guy that I think has the highest upside and that I think will, I don't know if he's probably going to be the best player. I was, I definitely discount in terms of certainty, but I have the luxury luxury of putting the guy i think has by far the highest upside in this draft number one and i think with the uncertainty and the scrutiny that comes with the number one pick a lot of gms don't have the luxury to do that so we'll see i i mean i do feel you know nobody else has said anything like this right even uh, all the draft nicks they're just i haven't heard anyone else who's this high on sharp which is it's that surprised me a little bit because like he was number one in his class like what was that based on right like and i mean he hasn't other than just kind of some weird shit at kentucky and not playing and there are plenty of other guys i mean we talked about some of it but like you know darius garland played five games at vanderbilt and Kyrie played 11 and james like there are guys who go in the top five so maybe they're just other people i think it's really more even that other people just didn't see what i saw on the film more so than that it's just well he didn't play and that's weird so we're discounting him but we see the upside there so i think i, I am I, yeah good i don't want to relitigate i mean our our shade and sharp conversation speaks for 
itself. But what I will say is I have him I don't have him as much lower as a lot of people would. But for me, the reason he wasn't tier one is because I didn't see enough shake in Shaden Sharp's game and the idea that he's not I don't I don't see him as somebody who's going to lose guys on the ball enough. And that to me is is a concern. I, I like some of the defensive tools, but I don't see a defensively like versatile guy. I see somebody who could be good at his position. Also, typically one of the lower utility defensive positions out there. If you're a two, that's not really going to defend threes. That could be there. Um, but I'll go well, through. Well, so, so let me just finish up on Shaden then, unless you had something else on, on That's him. fine. Uh, so I think the only guy, since we like really started doing this in earnest, that I was incredibly high on, that I thought would was just going to be awesome, that didn't work out was Luca. Or I'm sorry, not Luca. No, Luca was one that, no, I'm sorry. I meant uh, Mark Hilfold. That just didn't work out. And there are reasons why Mark Hilfold didn't work out. I, I still think even so, just seeing him now, maybe we would have been too high on him regardless and he was the number one pick everyone agreed with him and the last guy that i really had i guess there are two guys in 2018 that i had way higher than most people did were trey young and mpj and those guys worked out pretty well and guys that i really was seduced by as having star potential i I think i've done relatively well on seeing that and being excited about it and maybe it's just never going to happen for shaden simply the fact that no one else sees it this way definitely bothers me and i didn't follow his career nearly as closely as a lot of people who have him a lot lower so i'm this could just be wrong but i'm uh, i'm gonna go for it Uh, i mean i've i've bet on my board before it is I am a firm believer that if 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 it's something you see, you put it out there for the world, and because you will regret it if you if you like. I remember one for me, like we, this came up in the Spotify Live that I, I had I had Anthony Bennett, I think seventh or eighth, and I actually kind of I actually kind of wanted to have him a little lower, but I was afraid it's like oh you're gonna have the number one pick tenth, and it's like yeah I should have done that. That's what I that's how I felt, and so there will be times that you're wrong. There will be times that there's egg on your face. I don't know if this is gonna be a sharp if sharp is going to be that, but putting it out there is is right i have a three-player top tier okay boncaro one jabari smith two chet holmgren three and smith over holmgren was a tough call for me i i maybe we, we've had these full conversations all of these guys like smith's roboticism is a very real concern however i'm less concerned about that than i think you are in part because for me the threshold in terms of ball handling and vision required to be a number one scorer is not the same as being a number one creator so if we're going like Tracy McGrady or Kevin Durant, not saying comparing him to those players, they didn't need to have the same full skill package as like a Trey Young, for right, example. Right. Because Tr- Tracy McGrady was a wonderful passer. I will not. He sit he, here he and was, let, but let he's not a smart Tracy McGrady. But player. he's not. He wasn't a top ten passer in the league at his time, as at least as I recall. Like, yeah, I mean, he might. He, it was underrated. Yeah, probably top ten might be a little high, but man, right. top twenty wouldn't be insane. Yeah, and I mean, and there, but so, but the idea that you you don't have to to be an impactful score you don't have to be that incredible ball handler that incredible player and and also with the shooting well, well i think to be an, an impactful score you do need to be able to beat your man sure sure that, that's, that is it that's more what i my concern right. than the passing and that, and that's, i and that's i'm a, always a, a believer that guys can figure out the passing part and if so, they if they draw enough attention if they draw enough attention and, and then holmgren i like the offensive skill level and i think that there is that there is a place for him to be a positive player on that end and also to really not be a negative which is is important too like i think you have to guard him out on the perimeter that's very useful 
But I'm not only concerned about the skinniness, I'm just concerned about what is his ideal role and how valuable is that if he can't be this like all defensive level player, which to his credit, Chad Holmgren has been in high school and college and he's been successful at every level. But the NBA is a is an altogether different thing. And if he has to be, you know, like in some ways more of a power forward than a than a five, at least against some teams, it lowers the value there, not only on the defensive end, but more importantly on the offensive end, because then the floor spacing and the kind of the offensive elements he brings, he's going to be more against like size guys. I don't think he's going to beast. So I like all three of these players, Boncaro, Smith and Holmgren. The, there are definite upsides that I like, but there are real concerns. And that's why I didn't have any of them meaningfully above the others, but, you know, did have a separation between them and everyone else. Yeah, for me, the other guy in my tier one was Paolo and just really like the idea of him as a kind of later career Blake Griffin type of guy who can handle the ball and do a bit of everything offensively. I don't think he's going to be an incredibly efficient scorer, but I do think he can pass. I think you can run a lot of offense through him. And I think his defense will be adequate in yeah, time as far as moving moving his feet. So, And he, to me, he's the guy. He and Sharp are the guys who I think are the only guys in this class that I think are have a pretty good chance of like being the number one guy on an offense. And uh, Paolo, I do kind of wonder, oh, what would he look like in this series against the this NBA Finals we just saw or whatever? And hey, there's a lot of number one picks who... Would wouldn't play that well in those series like there's a reason that you you've got great great superstars and then you've got guys with very few weaknesses around them but there are plenty of number one overall picks number two number three overall picks who are just very good players who can get you into the playoffs like that doesn't make it a bad pick yeah and this is a to me this is a weaker top tier than most years you know like I, i when i have my full druthers i like to kind of slot guys in in that and there there isn't a like kind of tier one of tier ones yeah. this year i, I like. mean shit uh, of the last the top three in the last four years who are the guys who are you know both not only all-star level of players but are also like so flawless that they are, are gonna look really good late in the playoffs like jason tatum would be that even though he, he even struggled a little bit uh, finally against the warriors but you know he's a guy who doesn't really have any major weaknesses in his his game uh, on either end and Luke obviously is just so good it doesn't matter even like Zion and Ja have some pretty major defensive questions about their ability to get deep deep in the playoffs and LaMelo uh, Anthony Edwards actually is probably a guy who's doesn't have questions about his ability to operate deep in the playoffs due to his athleticism and improved defense although you certainly didn't think that about him defensively at the time and last year as good as the draft was Jalen Green might have some questions about that Cade probably doesn't Mobley probably doesn't that's a pretty good draft <laughs> Scotty Barnes can't shoot yet but I think most people think he'll get there etc so a lot of these guys you're just you're not necessarily getting that it doesn't make those guys bad picks um Tier two for me is just Chet Holmgren. I think I feel more comfortable with him now with the recent trend of being able to play guys like him at power forward. And I do think he'll shoot well enough to make that happen. And at a minimum, he's a guy who can really, really elevate your defense. And the more center he can play, it might be matchup dependent. I do wonder how well he will fit at the absolute highest levels. Cause I don't know if he can switch, but I do think he can play any conventional pick and roll coverage pretty well. And I think there is some offensive upside there, not necessarily likely to hit it but i do think there's a way he could be like a pretty efficient 20 point score depending on who's around him and what system he's in how good a shooter he becomes tier three for me actually why why don't you go with your next group my next group is 
so that'll be my tier two, is three gentlemen, Shaden Sharp at the top, then Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray. Sharp versus Ivey was my toughest call. And what I really ended up leaning on was I think for so each of them has something that they really need to like kind of improve or establish to be at that like really high level. And so for Ivy, he has the athleticism, but I don't trust his jump shot yet, especially because Ivy shot, I think it was like 29% from three his freshman year. And with Sharp, it's that kind of losing your guy elusiveness, which actually I when I went, I went back in my notes, this is part of why I picked Sharp. I was a criticism I had of Ivy as well, but he was the first guy I watched film on. So I, I was going to reread that. But the reason why I went with Sharp over Ivy is because I thought about the idea, well, those are big improvements for these guys to really get to be that like number one option or 1A, 1B, that that level of offensive force is if they don't get there, where are they as a player? And I thought that Sharp with his shooting and his positional size and kind of the way his game fits together, that's still a very useful player. That's probably a, you know, like where, where that slots in is a little bit ambivalent. But with, with Ivy, as talented as he is, it could be that he just kind of, he's not quite enough of anything to get all the way there. And so that's why I went with Ivy behind Sharp. And then I have both of them above Keegan Murray, who has a lot of things that I like. I think that beyond the just ridiculous efficiency numbers, he plays a position that is scarce. But I also don't see that overwhelming kind of area for Keegan Murray. I think he's a really nice complimentary player that doesn't have that best player on a good team, even faint, like faint upside that the other guys do. But he plays a more valuable position. So for me, though, Sharp, Ivy, Murray, four, five, six. Yeah, so my tier three is number four, Keegan Murray, and number five, Jabari Smith. I have Keegan above Smith. Uh, You know, Smith, maybe I'll just give him the higher upside just because of his age and just like how butter that jump shot is and i like smith a little bit better as a one-on-one defender than murray i'm not like as high on smith i mean we talked we've talked about him so much talked about it uh him so much with keandre as well earlier this week but yeah it's just too concerning to me i don't think he's going to be a number one option offensively he can't get by anyone he can't dribble he can't play pick and roll doesn't really have any feel for finishing particularly either and whereas keegan he gets probably not going to get by guys either but he at least could beat guys in mismatches in the post by beasting there on the offensive glass unbelievable in transition good finisher like he i think his athleticism is very underrated in terms of his pop like he's just above the rim so quickly on some of these plays and i just love him as a play finisher everywhere i yeah jabari has the higher upside just due to the age and maybe his physical profile will grow out i've said that's how i most anticipate potentially being wrong on jabari is if he just turns into an absolute physical monster monster which i wouldn't classify him at as quite yet other than just his height um but yeah i think you can just only create so many shots as just a straight iso guy and a jump shooter and he's got a long way to go to add more elements to his offensive game so yeah i'm I would guess I'm the lowest on him of just about anyone as I'm the highest of just about anyone uh, on sharp and then I actually have Jaden Ivey in my next group I, I would put him with Matherin but below Matherin my problem wow. with Ivy is just I don't I think his jumper is just going to be too limiting I, I mean I know he's really fast in a straight line uh, I know he's got incredible acceleration but I don't see how he's going to have a mid-range game to play pick and roll I don't think he's going to shoot it that well off the dribble like the form is just too weird like he can't really shoot a jump shot his floater game is very awkward I'm not sure if I quite buy the numbers which were decent at Purdue uh, and then also I would feel much better about him if he was a playmaker on defense. I actually kind of like Matherin better defensively, I would say, than Jaden Ivey. 
because Matt Thurn at least is just strong, probably more of a chance to guard possibly one through three if fully formed. I thought that some of Matt Thurn's best moments were maybe a little bit better in terms of like actually stopping people than Jaden Ivey. Maybe Ivey made a few more plays. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a huge believer in I like his passing has flashes, his dribbling has flashes, but none of it's really that great. I think the way that I end up being wrong about Ivey is some team just makes him into a point guard and gives him the ball and then he just is like so fast that he becomes like a mini i shouldn't say mini because bigger but a a like poor man's john morant type but i'm just not i don't think that his skill level i think the upside is limited for him by his jump shot even if he has this great physical upside so that's why i have him below mathern because mathern is just such an easy fit and i think he with that jumper he can plug and play on any team ivy to me he's got like pretty high like i don't want to say bust potential but high like not being a starter potential it's possible certainly my team Tier four, or sorry, I guess that's tier three, is Matherin and AJ Griffin together in that order. I we already just we just talked about both those guys. I don't need to go too far into it. And then my last tier by himself is Dyson Daniel. Yeah, and Daniels, I think he's going to be an effective player for a while. Kind of even money whether he becomes a starter or not. That'll depend a lot on the jump shot. Don't see how he really gets the usage up. Is he an unbelievable all-defense quality player? Maybe that is what makes me wrong and that he should be higher. I don't know that I quite see that with him yet. And, you know, the jumpers, I'm worried about the jumper. I know he made strides on it, but I still think he's going to kind of be like a time and space open spot-up shooter at best and, you know, not someone who's going to make much above the league average even on those plays so i think he's he's got a lot of nice qualities i don't think that like the ball handling aspect i don't think his offense or his scoring package is going to be enough to really unlock much of that so I, I like a solid prospect to be sure but just not someone who has the upside of anyone else that we're talking about right now okay well i guess we'll see <laughs> <laughs> I can't can't wait for summer league and yeah i mean particularly because i have this like crazy board now with uh sharp high and ivy and smith low and probably paulo higher than some people too it's i really am excited for summer league to see whether i'm right or whether i'm gonna have some lessons to learn talk to y'all tomorrow when we know the draft till then Oh, and actually, I should add one thing. Please subscribe to Total Access. We will be updating. We'll have multiple updates during the day. Tomorrow of the salary sheets when trades occur, we'll get that all completely done before we record tomorrow. So that's a, another reason to be a Total Access subscriber in addition to the Discord and our chats, uh, which we'll be doing both of us in. You're doing yours the day after the draft, right? Yep, morning after. Awesome. Yeah, so great great reason to sign up for Dunktown Prime Total Access if you're doing the podcast only plan talk to y'all soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.